Good morning, West Franklin. Let's come together and read God's holy word. Let's stand as we read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to the dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, as we gather together this morning, may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, souls, and minds through your holy word, through Matt's preaching, speak through him to our hearts of what you want to tell us and reveal to us each intimately. Father, I ask that you will um, use us to bring you glory with our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. About a week and a half ago, our dog Eddie was attacked by another dog in our neighborhood. It's a long story, but a young boy was walking a very large dog, and when this very large dog saw our dog, the large dog got away from its owner and proceeded to treat Eddie as if Eddie was a toy in the dog's backyard that the dog really didn't want. It was ugly. Twelve stitches, the cone of shame, four medications, and a day at the emergency vet clinic later, Eddie is slowly but surely recovering. Since then, we've had several people ask, what are you going to do to retaliate? Are you going to demand that they pay your vet bill? And we've struggled. We didn't know what was the right thing to do. And there's probably several right things and maybe some wrong things to do. I'll admit in my flesh, when I first heard what was happening or what did happen, I wanted to go and find out who these people were and sue them for every penny that they had. And then I realized that's not very Christ-like, so I wanted to sue them for 75% of what they had. And then I thought, you know what, here's what we'll do. We'll just, we'll just go and tell them, here's how much our vet bill was, and ask for reimbursement. But my wife helped me see something. As we talked about this and what was the right thing to do, she reminded me that there have been several instances where if we weren't careful, Eddie would have been the dog to go attack another dog. You see, our dog, Eddie, as cute as he may be, is very protective. And if you're not on a very short list of people that he likes, he will take your face off. She reminded me of that. She also reminded me that there have been instances where children have come in our front yard, and had we not been out there, Eddie might have proceeded to hurt the child. It's one of those things where we're reminded that this could have easily been us. We have a dog that has demonstrated he can lose control when pressed. And so, right or wrong, what we decided to do was simply to go talk to these owners, let them know what happened, to try to, to, to make them aware so maybe it wouldn't happen again. Why do I share this with you? I share it with you because we have a very large vet bill, and I want to give you my Venmo account. It is, I'm just kidding. I share this with you because as we approach Matthew chapter 7, Jesus assumes we've been listening to chapters 5 and 6. 
We get a good run and start into chapter 7. Jesus isn't just starting a new topic, a new saying, a new teaching. He's going somewhere. There's an order to what he's doing. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus has been telling us some very interesting things about what the blessed life looks like. What do you do with anger? What happens when you lust? What happens when you get divorced? What happens when you want possessions or you, you, you go through the motions of being religious in front of people? And if you've been paying attention, he's been laying us all flat. And by the time he gets to chapter 7 where he says, don't judge, it should be obvious that anybody in our state with the spiritual condition that we're in, we should be the last people to judge. Dallas Willard in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, Divine Conspiracy, said this, He said, we must start at the point Jesus himself chose and follow his order through the setting aside of anger, contempt, absorbing lust, manipulation, and payback, and on to the forsaking of dependence upon human reputation and material wealth. Then we will be ready for what comes next. For as the master of knowledge, he here deals with personal and moral reality as it really is. And it really does have an order. We omit that order to our peril. In other words, Willard is saying, Jesus starts somewhere and he's walking through the sermon with an order. So by the time he says, don't judge, we're at a place where we, we would understand we're the last people to judge. Just like my wife and I with, the dog, with our dog, Eddie, we realized that our dog could have easily been that dog, not only on another dog, but on another human. And so it was easy for us to say, hey, we get it. We just want to help you through this. So, so when we get to Matthew 7, it's almost as if Jesus, when he, says, uh, when he talks about judgment, he's saying it's ridiculous. It'd be absurd for someone who understands that if you get angry, you deserve wrath. And if, if you, these things you've done in and out of your relationships, you deserve judgment. It'd be crazy for us, those of us who've received grace, to say, I judge you. And what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is show you just how ridiculous judging others is. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus helps us see that when you judge someone, judgment works kind of like a boomerang. When you judge someone, judgment works a lot like a boomerang. Look with me in verse 1 again. Jesus says, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. I wish I could tell you the word boomerang is original with me, but it's not. I read it in the study this past week. But when I read that verses 1 and 2 are like a boomerang, it just uh, illuminated the passage for me. Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You know what a boomerang is. You know what a boomerang is supposed to do. When you have a boomerang that works well, you throw it very, very hard away from you, and it will come back to you. You throw it away from you, and it comes back to you. Jesus is saying, if you want to play this game of judging others, of being arrogant, of looking down your nose at others, of being critical of others, of assuming the worst in others, if you want to do that, you'll be judged with the same measure. 
If you're going to walk around as if you're better, as if, uh, as if that person should know better, or you can't believe such and such is doing this, then that will be given right back to you. It works like a boomerang. You judge, you will be judged. People ask, is it God judging with the same measure or is people? Scholars debate what Jesus means here, and I think he means both. Think about it, church. If you and I walk around arrogantly with our nose up in the air, thinking that we are better than others, there's a real good chance we haven't understood the nature of salvation. If you're a part of the kingdom of Christ, you have come to the place where you realize that you are sick, you are sinful, you are spiritually destitute, and were it not for the grace of God, you would have no hope. Someone who knows that doesn't walk around arrogantly being critical of others. So this is a way for us to check our salvation. Do we really understand the nature of being a part of the kingdom? But I also believe it means people. If you want, Jesus is saying, if you judge others, you're going to be judged in the same way by others. If you're critical of others, they're going to be critical of you. It's this, it's this almost game, if you will, that Jesus says, you want to play it, we'll play it. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll recall, he said, if you do your righteous deeds before others to be seen by them, you'll get your reward. If that's why you're doing it, you'll get it. You want to judge others, you'll be judged in return. It works like a boomerang. This is Jesus's way of pleading with us to understand others, to stop assuming you know everything about their situations but to understand what they're going through. Try to understand their situation. Walk a mile in their shoes. And if we've been listening to Jesus' sermon, he's already said, if your enemy forces you to go one mile, go with them too. And if you walk two miles with someone, you're going to understand a little bit more about them. It's amazing what happens to us when we, when we understand more about a person, our judgment meter goes down. When I was in college, my dad said I had to have a job. And so one of the first jobs I got while I was at Auburn was a telemarketer. Worst job I've ever had. I didn't last long. If you're a people pleaser like I am, you don't need to be a telemarketer. I sold newspapers. I'm guessing what I did was legal. It was in a weird basement type place and there were several of us. I'm assuming what I did was right. I didn't know it different if it wasn't. But about day four, day five into this job... I remember getting on the phone with the, with the lady and asking for, I assumed it was her husband because it was a man's name that came up on the screen. And this woman began to be irate with me. I mean, just ugly. I mentioned the person's name and asked for them and she pretty much screamed, why, what do you want, who is this? I responded with who I was and who I was with and if she wanted to buy a newspaper and she proceeded to say things like, how dare you, and some other things that I can't say at church. I remember looking around at some of my colleagues at their desk and giving them the, got a cuckoo on line three sign. And then she broke down and said, the person you just asked for passed away 30 minutes ago. He's not available. I went from wanting to be ugly to this woman to wanting to hug her in a matter of seconds. Jesus is pleading with us to understand someone's situation before you make a judgment call. And he lets us know that judging is ridiculous because it works like a boomerang. 
But the second way judging is ridiculous is not only that it works like a boomerang in response, but it reveals why so many Christians are hypocritical. Unfortunately, you've probably been called or heard people say that there's nothing in the church or the church is full of hypocrites. And I hate to say it, but they're right. In many circumstances, in many instances, we are. And one of the key ways we, ex- we uh, display our hypocritical nature is by judging others. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 3. Jesus says, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. Jesus is using a somewhat comical example to show us the reality of what we do when we judge others. Jesus says, is basically saying, if you ever pay attention to your own sinful state, you will realize how desperate you are for grace and how dare us to look down our noses at someone and call out their sin without ever recognizing what's in our lives. He uses the example of a beam of wood and a splinter. And so I know this is kind of going to an extreme, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, why don't you just ignore the beam of wood in your own eye and say to your friend, hey, can I help you get that splinter? It just doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. You first got to move this thing, get it out of your life so that you can see your friend's splinter. Listen, church, every time we judge others, Every time we're critical towards others, every time we assume the worst in others, the world, the the eyes of heaven sees us as walking around with this beam of wood hanging hanging out of our eye and the other person's problem is a splinter. And the world rightly says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. It's like the, it's like the morbidly obese man judging the alcoholic. It's like the person who smokes two packs a day judging the one who wants to legalize marijuana. The one who's addicted to pornography judging a homosexual. The man who's been divorced four times making judgment calls on people with relationship issues. It's the workaholic who ignores his children while making a judgment call on the child abuser. It's the person who screams violently for lives to be saved during COVID-19, but judges those who are pro-life. It's it's the one who's maxed out their credit cards, judging those with a very nice house. It's the person walking around in a store, not wearing a mask, judging the one who does wear a mask, little knowing that the one wearing a mask is taking care of a 95-year-old parent. Church, Jesus is letting us know every time you and I walk around assuming the worst, with a critical spirit, judging others. It's as if we're walking around with a huge beam in our eye, paying attention to someone else's splinter. Jesus is pleading for us to deal with our own mess. 
Jesus is screaming, if you will, in his own son of God way to take care of the beam. Don't forget your own problems. Don't forget your own issues. It's ridiculous when you judge. And if you've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, no one can stand above anyone else. We're all desperate for the grace of God. Judging is insane because it's like a boomerang and judging is insane because it reveals the hypocrites that we tend to be. And finally, judging reveals a severe lack of awareness. Judging reveals a severe lack of awareness. Those of us who are guilty of judging, we reveal that we lack awareness of our own lives and we lack awareness of what's happening in someone else's life. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 5 again of Matthew 7 and let's read verses 5 and 6. Jesus says, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. There's so much I love about these verses. Let me just try to summarize it this way. One thing we need to be careful about here is Jesus is not saying to ignore what's happening in someone else's life. That's not what he's saying. He's clearly saying you need to be in each other's lives because all of us have splinters. All of us have our own beams and we need others to call it out. But there's a posture, there's a manner, there's a demeanor in which to go about it. Anyone who goes to take a splinter out, to deal with, some, uh, deal with a flaw, deal with an issue, deal with a sin, deal with something that's not helpful for someone that you see in their life, if we go, we need to take with us this mentality that we've got scars. And if you've dealt with a beam of, of wood hanging out of your eye, there's probably going to be a really big scar there that you've had to deal with. And on a regular basis, dealing with this, getting it out and leaving a scar. And if you're regularly doing that, you're going to have a posture of, I get it. I understand. I've had to deal with this, but I see this and it's hurting you. Jesus said, take the beam out of your eye so you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. It is so important that we be in each other's lives in this way, having a manner of helping them, having a manner of saying, I want what's best for you. I hope you have that in your life and I hope you're like that into others' lives. It's one key reason being a part of a life group is so important. It's so that we can do life with one another and protect each other. I have people come in my office all, well, pre-COVID all the time, and I'm grateful for that, and I love being able to help counsel, but oftentimes it's gotten past the splinter mode. It's grown into a full-blown beam, and if a brother or sister who had saw, seen something early on had said something early on, it wouldn't have gotten to this point. 
Jesus is saying this out of love. If, if we're going to love and care for one another, we've got to recognize that we've all got splinters that we need dealing with, and we approach each other scarred up, understanding that we fall the same way and we help each other in that way. But we need to be careful in how we approach it. In the very next verse, which is a very interesting verse, and it seems to come out of nowhere, but if it's perfect in the context, Jesus says, don't give, to holy what is, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. If you think about it, if it's perfect, he says, everyone has an animal nature. <laughs> and if you try to give vegetables to a dog, they're just going to spit them out. They don't want that. They want dog food. They want bacon. They want meat. If you try to give a pearl to a pig, a pig's just going to spit it out. Pig doesn't want a pearl. Pig wants slop, right? A pearl may be beautiful. A pearl may be wonderful. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers to later as a, as a pearl of great price, as the gospel itself. But Jesus' point is very clear. Sometimes in certain situations, some people won't be able to stomach what you are trying to give them. There are certain ways, certain instances, certain circumstances, and, and this uh, arena of discernment where you say, here's what I need to tell you. And more often than not, it's not a full dose of something. It's you understanding how they would receive it. It's you taking care to understand how you communicate a truth or the gospel or something someone needs to hear. Instead of you assuming they need to hear it and you just dump it and leave it where it is, you might need to pay attention to how they are receiving it, how you think they will receive it. Jesus is saying, would you just follow the lead of the Spirit would you be discerning? Would you lean into what Jesus is calling you to? Jesus will give you the green light when you need to say something and how you need to say it. Go in love. Go giving evidence of your own scars. And sometimes you need to say something. Sometimes you need to not. If you're not careful, they'll turn on you because they don't want what you have. And in that case, you need to wait till a better time. One of the medications that Eddie has been given for his um, recovery uh, is a pill that's not a chewable. <clears throat> and it's a pill you have to get him to take without him knowing what it is, really. I grew up in the home of a veterinarian, and so I know how to give pills to dogs, and uh, usually I'm pretty good at it. Having watched my dad do it my whole life, and I myself haven't given a go at it when I worked for him. If you, want to, if you want to give a dog a pill, you open their mouth wide, you throw it as far back in their throat as you can, you close their mouth, and when you see their little tongue come out to lick their lips, you know that the pill has gone down their throat. Well, the first day or so, Eddie took it like a champ. No problem. I did that. Worked great. About day three, he realized what I was doing, and he tried to take my face off a time or two. He didn't want that pill. He didn't want me to do it that way. See, the pill was going to heal him. The pill was good for him. He, he needed the pill, but he didn't want the pill. And so, we stuck the pill in peanut butter. 
And we made sure that he got all that peanut butter because stuck in the peanut butter was the pill. And he really liked it. He needed the pill. And we did whatever we had to do to make sure he got it. Jesus is saying, people need the gospel. People need to hear the truth. It's your job to help them understand the truth. But you need to do so in a manner where you make sure you work hard to help them get the truth in a way that they can stomach it. What's the peanut butter you need to use to help them get the pill? Or to quote Mary Poppins, what's the spoonful of sugar you need to use to help the medicine go down? It's a way a kingdom person works. This whole thing, this whole section is moving to verse 12 where it's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I've asked you over and over through this sermon series to ask this question or to take this challenge. Do unto others as God is doing unto you. Treat others the way Jesus is treating you. Aren't you glad that Jesus is very gentle and kind and non-judgmental towards you? Aren't you glad that when you need to receive truth, that he doesn't just slam it down your throat, but he coats it in your own version of peanut butter so that you can get it and receive it? John tells us one day that there was a lady that was caught in adultery. She was caught in an adulterous affair and some religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus and to a big crowd of people and they were obviously judging her. They were judging her with their mouth, they were judging her with their thoughts and they were fixing to judge her with their actions because they were going to stone her. They were going to throw rocks at her until she died. Well, they wanted to see, these religious leaders wanted to see what Jesus was going to do to this woman. And he said... Pick up a stone. And those of you here that don't have any sin in your life, you be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, if you don't have anything in your eye, have at her. If you're full of sin, if you have sin, don't judge. The Bible tells us that they threw their stones down and walked away. And the only one standing there was Jesus and the woman. Now get this, church. There was one standing there who had never sinned. And Jesus could have easily judged her. Jesus could have picked up a stone and just hit her over and over again until she died. But he didn't. What did Jesus do? He took the stone instead of her. He took the condemnation instead of her. He took the punishment instead of her. He was judged instead of her. So she could go free. Did she deserve condemnation? Yes. And so do I and so do you. But instead of her getting it, instead of me getting it, instead of you getting it, Jesus took it. Do unto others as Jesus is treating you. How is he treating you today? 